Hello and welcome to this, the fourth episode of the series of podcasts on sanctions brought to you by me, John Hartley, partner in the Business Crime and Compliance team. In some of the earlier sessions, we have gone over a bit of the history of sanctions and some of the legislation which governs the sanctions regime in the UK. What I wanted to do today is focus on two main areas of sanctions, the two most likely that businesses uh, will, will encounter in their day-to-day -day operations. Those types of sanction which I would like to look at today are financial sanctions and trade sanctions. And under the Sanctions and Money Laundering Act, which we've discussed previously, there are in fact six types of sanction. There's financial, there's trade, immigration, which we'll briefly touch on today as well, aircraft, shipping, and those operated and implemented by the United Nations. So the Sanctions and Anti-Money Laundering Acts provides for different aspects of those sanctions regime. And it allows the government to create secondary legislation to deal specifically with those six main areas. And as I mentioned, what I wanted to do today was just focus on those two most topical, the financial sanctions and trade sanctions. And we'll look firstly at financial sanctions. There are in fact, some other pieces of legislation which allow for individuals to have sanctions placed upon them by way of economic sanctions and the freezing of their funds and assets. That legislation is mostly under anti-terrorism and proceeds of crime legislation. Um, we won't be touching on those today, but if you do have any queries, of course, you can get in touch. The most common powers now for implementing financial sanctions is contained in SAMLA, uh, S-A-M-L-A, -A, or the Sanctions and Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2018. As mentioned in a previous episode, that is a post-Brexit solution to the UK maintaining its legal and moral obligations to implement and support various sanctions around the world, incorporating those adopted by the United Nations. It does, of course, also allow some autonomy, which we've covered in some of those earlier sessions. Helpfully, Section 43 of SAMLA provides that for each of the secondary pieces of regulation which are introduced, there must be guidance which is published. And so you will always find guidance on the government website relating to any of the sanctions regimes which are published. And as mentioned in the earlier session, SAMLA gives the power to create that secondary legislation. And we must always refer to those pieces of secondary legislation, or the regulations as they're called, when looking at any one specific regime. That's because each set of the regulations created are different depending on the nature of the foreign policy adopted by the government. So for example, if you were to look at some of the Russian sanctions in any detail, you'd go to the Russia sanctions regulations of 2019, as opposed to looking at the Sanctions and Money Laundering Act. Moving on though, to look at those financial sanctions. These are by far the most topical and probably the most commonly used tool. They're quick and effective to implement. However, there are actually eight different prohibitions which fall under the general umbrella of financial sanctions. 
The first and easiest to define is a person who is designated by the government as a sanctioned person. All of that person's assets are frozen. All of their funds are frozen and all resources owned or controlled by that person are also deemed to be frozen. And it would be a criminal offence to deal with or to assist in the circumvention of the sanctions. Some of the other prohibitions are to prevent financial services from being provided to or for the benefit of a designated person, preventing financial services from being procured from any designated person, preventing economic resources from being made available to any designated person or for the benefit of a designated person. There's a prohibition to prevent funds from being received from any designated person. There's also a prohibition on preventing financial services from being provided where the services relate to financial products or financial products as a prescribed description issued by a designated person, i.e. a bond or a security which is issued by a designated person. And finally, there's a prohibition on preventing persons from owning, controlling or having a prescribed interest in any of those entities which are prescribed by the government. Now, of course, when the legislation refers to a person, it doesn't necessarily mean a human person, but that can also, of course, mean a, a body corporate. And so when the legislation refers to preventing an investment in a product issued by a designated person, that is really aimed at preventing an investment in a business or a bank or financial institution, which the UK government has deemed to be sanctioned. So the main thing to consider here are the definitions around being designated and the person's ownership and control of any assets. The legislation says, owned or controlled by any person who is designated. And to find a designated person, i.e. a human, is relatively straightforward, as all designated persons are listed by the government. This list follows the Office for Foreign and Commonwealth Development, so the FCDO, which creates policies uh, which are implemented by the government. And following on from the policy, the government decides who to place on the sanctioned list. So whilst the FCDO generates and implements the policy, it is the job of OFSI, which is the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, to enforce all of the issues which arise from the designated persons being placed on that list. And so they deal with allegations of breaches and applications for a license to be able to deal with a designated person if the need arises. However, what is slightly more complicated is the fact that this list does not include the details of businesses or assets which may be owned or controlled by that person. There may be assets which will be considered frozen under the sanctions regime which are owned or controlled by a designated person and the prohibitions will apply, but you may not see that entity or that asset on any particular list. Again, the specific regulations will specify the definition of ownership and control, but generally, as with the Russia regulations, it means 50% or more of the ownership, or 50% or more of the voting rights in any entity, 
or having the power to appoint or remove the board of directors. If any of those are satisfied, then the asset will be considered to be owned or controlled by the designated person and therefore the sanctions will apply to that entity. And so if you do find a person who is on the designated sanction list and owns 50% or more of a business, even if that business is here in the UK, then that entity will also be considered to be under sanction and nobody can deal with any of the assets of that business. So therefore, if any of those are the case, the business will also fall to be designated as if it were the designated person themselves. Linked to the asset freeze sanctions, which I'll briefly touch on, are the immigration sanctions, which are often presented as a travel ban. And this power is listed under Section 4 of the Sanctions and Anti-Money Laundering Act. This prevents or restricts a person's movement and ability to enter the UK. And if they are already in the UK, and of course not being a UK national, it will cancel any right to remain and will implement separate powers which currently exist under the Immigration Act of 1971. And therefore they can be removed from the country. One further category which falls under financial sanctions is the sanctions which relate to debt and equity services, such as capital markets businesses. This is a separate list, not necessarily appearing on the off-sea list of designated persons, but a separate list of entities which the government consider should be restricted. And this is a further category of financial restrictions. Again, reference is needed to be given to the specific regulations concerning the regime we are dealing with, but these place financial restrictions on businesses that offer such debt and equity services, and therefore it's prohibited to use the services of such capital market and financial businesses and any subsidiary owned or controlled by that entity. These will most commonly be government-owned or backed institutions such as state banks. If you do have any queries in relation to the financial sanctions, please don't hesitate to get in touch. So hopefully that'll give you a very brief and high-level overview of the financial sanction regimes which are in place in the UK under the Sanctions and Anti-Money Laundering Act. But I'll now go briefly on to discuss trade sanctions, which are possibly the second most commonly used sanction under the Act, and as the name suggests, the trade sanctions place trading restrictions on a government or a party who themselves is under the regime or uh, designated by the government. And essentially, the trade sanctions prevent the export of goods of a prescribed description. And again, when we're looking at prescribed descriptions, we'll need to look specifically at the underlying or secondary legislation to see what the government has decided would be a prescribed description. But if any goods are exported for the benefit of a designated person, i.e. what we've just discussed under the financial sanctions section, uh, or a person connected with a prescribed country, i.e. Russia, 
or a prescribed description of persons connected with a described country. Uh, therefore, somebody who might be connected to uh, Russia, for example, uh, and for the benefit or use in such a prescribed country. And that sounds fairly complicated, but essentially the regulations will specify what kind of goods and services are being restricted from being exported either to a designated person or a country which is prescribed under the relevant legislation. And the, the legislation goes further than simply the exportation. It also uh, refers to importation, um, which uh, covers the same prescribed goods which may be imported from that country into the United Kingdom. And it also applies to the assistance in the movement of goods. And so a logistics company, for example, operating uh, from the UK, if some of the goods that are consigned onto their vehicles are prescribed goods and going to a prescribed country, then there may be an offence being committed by helping in the movement of those goods. Not only is this applicable to physical goods, but also to technology, i.e. the provision of tech and data support to a business which may themselves be subject to sanction. And that would be especially the case if the technical support was specifically being used in the business which has been prescribed by the government. So for example, a financial services related application being used by a designated bank, that would potentially be a breach of the sanctions. If it is that that application is supporting the service which the government has indicated is prohibited. So paragraph 14 of Schedule 1 of the Act does allow for the provision of services as well to be prohibited if it assists with any of those prescribed acts. Therefore, again, and uh, I know that I sound a bit like a broken record, but we'd need to go into the secondary legislation to look at the regulations to see what the government prescribes as prohibited and what may be relevant. Therefore, as you can see, trade sanctions do affect far more businesses than many people would assume. It affects technology, oil, gas, accountancy and financial services. Um, and as I mentioned before, if you offer technical support to a Russian financial institution, you may be in breach of the sanctions regime. Now, of course, what I don't want to do is confuse any listener with the distinction between sanctions, trade sanctions, and export controls. They are very different topics, and export controls exist anyway. Export controls exist to prevent certain high-risk and listed products from being exported from the United Kingdom, regardless of whether the uh, destination is a sanctioned entity or prescribed by the government. However, there is clearly an overlap between trade sanctions and export controls. And if you are looking to export what is referenced as a dual-use item, which is something which may be used in civilian life or indeed military life, and that is being exported to a country which is subject to a trade sanction regime, uh, 
then it's likely that two aspects would need to be considered. You'd need to consider applying for an export license because it is a dual use item and maybe in breach of export controls anyway, but then also to consider applying for a specific license because the destination country is under trade sanctions. The FCDO, Foreign and Commonwealth Development Office, again sets the policy agendas for export trade sanctions, but this time instead of off-sea, conducting the oversight and regulation and enforcement, it is overseen by the Department for International Trade, the DIT. And within that team, the Export Control Joint Unit, or the ECJU, controls all license applications. And helpfully, they control license applications, not only for sanctions-related issues, but also for general export control issues. Now, there are some specific exceptions to activities uh, when it comes to trade sanctions. And one of the most topical issues which I can think of at the moment would be the, 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 the tragic recent earthquake which has affected Syria. And although Syria is under uh, tr certain trade sanctions by the UK government, there are humanitarian exceptions. And so under a license from HM Treasury, uh, there could be an exception to allow humanitarian assistance to be carried out in Syria for the benefit of the civilian population. And so there are always ways and means of allowing that humanitarian access to countries in desperate need of assistance and help when those tragedies do occur. And that draws to a close this podcast in relation to financial and trade sanctions. I will be discussing again in due course the additional sanctions which do appear in the legislation covering aviation, shipping and the United Nations related sanctions. And so that draws this podcast to a close. Um, I hope you'll join me again soon for a further episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye.